Thank you. Well, good morning. Welcome, everyone uh, watching online. Welcome to everyone in the video venue. We're excited that you're able to participate with us this morning in our service. My name is Andrew Philbeck. I get the opportunity to uh, preach to you today. Uh, I'm excited for that. Uh, this morning, we're going to spend some time in Second Peter talking about spiritual growth. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1 and just hold your place there if you haven't done so already. We're going to read our text in just a moment, but you can get prepared. Uh, spiritual growth is an interesting thing to talk about at church. And the reason I say that is because I believe you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone here this morning uh, who would say that they didn't want it. You know, spiritual growth is something that we all desire in our lives as Christians. And, you know, we come to church, I believe, expecting to grow spiritually. We read our Bibles expecting to grow spiritually. We, we pray, we do all sorts of things, and when we add all of this together, it's supposed to result in us being more mature believers, and listen, I'm not going to stand up here this morning and knock any of those things because I believe that they are all vital to our spiritual life, our knowledge, our growth. But at the same time, I believe that if those are the only things that we ever do, we sell ourselves short when it comes to how we can grow as believers. Our text is 2 Peter 1 verses 3 through 11, and in my NIV Bible, the heading for this passage says, Making One's Calling and Election Sure. And that's, that's not a bad title. Uh, certainly there is, uh, that's something that we talk about in this passage, but I believe what we see more practically is a clear path towards spiritual growth. That's what Peter lays out for us in this text. Now, when we achieve that growth, when we do the things Peter says that we should do and we grow closer to God in our relationship, then yes, absolutely, we experience an assurance of our salvation. But I believe that's just one of many results that we experience as we take steps closer to God. Now, one of the things I think we should do this morning before we read anything, before we dive into anything, is to be honest with ourselves about what our motivation is. When we say we want to grow spiritually, when we say we desire a deeper relationship with God, what is our motive? Now, that may seem like an odd question for me to ask this morning, but uh, even something like spiritual growth, something that you expect to hear talked about in church, something that you expect Christians to say they desire can be corrupted. Let me give you just two examples of how this can happen. Sometimes... Sometimes what people want more than real, genuine spiritual growth is really just a good feeling. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to feel like we're doing something right. And so, you know, we think of all these church things to do. And so we attend services and we read our Bibles and we volunteer and, and we do all of these things until we start to feel better. And then once we feel better, we usually kind of back away to our old self. It's almost like that you have a spiritual itch that needs to be scratched, but once it's scratched, once that itch goes away, so does the desire. You can compare it to overeating one night and just feeling really bad about yourself and thinking, I've got to change, I've got to eat better, I've got to start doing things right, and so the next day you have a salad. Maybe you have two salads. Maybe you're really good and you have two salads. And so you feel a little bit better, and because you feel a little bit better, you say, okay, you know what, I can... 
I, I can take care of this on my own. I can go back to the way things were. And you don't have that, that strong emotional drive anymore. And it's because it's all just a feeling. The second way spiritual growth can be corrupted is if we kind of ignore our feelings altogether and we only think about something in our lives that needs to change. You know, we can have a need in our life, a genuine need, and we come to God because of that. Maybe it's some kind of addiction that we're trying to overcome. Maybe we've experienced uh, the loss of a job. Maybe we just visited the doctor and we did not get good news. Whatever it is, We feel this burden that something needs to be different. And so we come to God, we come to church, and we begin to get involved. We do all of the things that we're supposed to do as Christians. But then once something fixes itself, once the situation isn't quite so dire, we fall back. I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, once the need is met, once we get a new job, once the doctor has good news, once your life starts to get a little bit under control again, you breathe a sigh of relief because, yes, the situation has bettered itself, but also you can kind of go back to the way things were now because there's not this great need anymore. Now, I realize that this can seem like a harsh way to begin the message this morning, um, but I want us all to be aware of some of the things that we that get in our way of spiritual growth. And, you know, the reason that I pick these two things is because these are the two things that I have to be aware of the most in my own life. I I am fully aware and been fully guilty of just having spiritual itch that needs to be scratched, of thinking, you know, I need to do more. I've been kind of lazy. I really need to get involved. And so I do something. I show up somewhere. I, I, you know, you fill in the blank, and then I feel better. And it's like, that's great. Now I can go back to doing what I've always been doing. Or you experience some anxiety. You know, I know what that's like to have some bad news drop out of the middle of nowhere and to just be overwhelmed and to think, yo, this is terrible. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I need to get back to God. I need to get back in the Bible. I need to talk about this. I need to pray about this. And so I do all of those things. And once that ship is righted, I don't continue down that path. I just breathe that sigh of relief because now I can just go back to the way things were. That's something that I'm guilty of that I have to watch out for in my walk. My guess this morning is that I'm not the only one who's guilty of those things. One more thing. One more thing I want to say before we read our passage. Since since we're spending some time this morning talking about spiritual growth, thinking about what our motivations are, thinking about the things that can kind of corrupt our desire to grow spiritually... What I want to challenge you to do this morning is to only think about how this applies to you. Don't sit there and think about how much someone else needs to do this. Don't think about someone else's roadblocks, how someone else's spiritual growth has been corrupted. And here's the deal. I say that not because, not because I don't believe that that can be a genuine desire. We all know people who do need to grow spiritually, who do need to be challenged, who do need to change. But I say that because if you sit there this morning and only think about what someone else needs to hear and what someone else needs to do, you're going to miss what God wants you to hear and what God wants you to do. So that's my challenge for you today. So having said all of that, would you stand with me wherever you are for the reading of God's word? 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. You can follow along with me as I read aloud. This is our passage. He says, His divine power has given us 
everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So let's begin by looking at what God has given us so that we can experience spiritual growth. Because here's uh, a big reality that I hope you understand from the get-go this morning. If you're a Christian, if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have everything you need to grow spiritually. He has given you everything you need to grow spiritually. You do not need to ask for any kind of extra blessing or missing peace or anything like that. So go ahead and write this down next to number one in your handout if you're taking notes. Write down the provision and the promise. The provision and the promise. This is what we see in verses three and four. Now, I'm not going to read these verses for you again since we just read through the whole passage, but we do need to look at them a little bit as we work our way through this point. What's the first thing that Peter says we have in verse 3? He says that we have power. Now, this isn't just any power. He says that we have his divine power. And this is not Peter referring to his power, Peter's power. He's referring to Jesus's power. And really, this is incredible when you think about it. And honestly, I think one of the reasons that people don't experience the growth and don't handle situations the way that they should so often is because they don't really think about it. They don't really grasp and understand what it, is, what it means to have this power in their lives. I say that because this means that the power at work in you and in me is the same power that resurrected Jesus. The power at work in you and in me is the power that overcame death, that healed the sick, that ascended into heaven. This is the power that Jesus gives us. This is why Peter can say this power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It covers over every possible situation and scenario we will ever face in this world and in our lives. And for some reason, I don't think people really grasp that in a practical way. Or, or if they do, for some reason, they don't take advantage of it like they should. And far too often when our lives aren't what we want them to be, we say things like, well, I feel like something's missing. I just, I just feel like something's a little bit off. Now, if you're not a believer, if you do not have Jesus as your Savior, if you do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then, 
that statement is true. There is something missing in your life. You do need Jesus. But Peter makes it clear that if you are a Christian, if you have been saved, you will never be missing anything you need to live the life that God wants you to live. I mean, imagine that you decide to start working out. You want to go to the gym. You want to get stronger. You want to lift weights. You want to do all of those things. What do you need to do? You need to train what you've already been given. You need to work. You need to to take advantage of that. You don't need to go out and get anything. You don't need to go get muscle. That's a ridiculous statement. You already have it. You just need to use it. You need to grow it. You need to take advantage of it. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. We have what we need. God has provided us with what we need. So much of us walk around feeling like something's missing or something's off when the reality is the only thing that is missing is us taking advantage of what God has given us. Now, that being said, there are barriers to growth. We can create barriers to growth uh, in our own lives, things that hinder our ability to take advantage of what God has given us. So I want to give you two examples, just like I did in the beginning, two examples. One, one way that we can create a barrier to growth is when we continually and willfully sin. That shouldn't be a big surprise. When you uh, ignore God, when you live life on your terms and you only want to do what you want to do and you don't want to think about what's right and what's wrong, what's sinful and what's righteous, God is not going to bless that. You're not going to grow spiritually when you live that way. That's kind of obvious. Another way we can create a barrier is to live like Pharisees. Now, this means just like the Pharisees that we read about in the Gospels, for the most part, we can do everything right. We say all the right things, we do all the right things, we follow all the rules, but we don't do any of this for God's glory, we do it all for our own glory. When something great happens, we don't, we don't say, look at what God has done, God is so amazing, we say, look at what I have done. And I realize, you know, people don't actually say that out loud verbally to someone else most of the time, but when you're a Pharisee, you know what your motivation is, you know where you get your satisfaction from, and it's not because of what God has done, it's because of what you have done. And the reason I use those two examples is because they're, they're two sides of the coin. They're, they're two extremes. You have the, the, you know, basically the really bad, really sinful, really, you could say, wicked person over here who, of course, is not going to grow spiritually. But at the same time, you have the really good, really moral, really upright person over here who doesn't grow spiritually either. Both of them want to live life apart from God. Both of them want to live life apart from God. That might seem odd when you think about the Pharisees, but, you know, they don't want a Savior. They don't need a Savior because they follow all the rules. They do all the right things, and so they don't want Jesus in their life to challenge them. We need to be aware of that. Both of these ways of life will stunt our spiritual growth. They'll keep us from being who we want to be. And so while Peter makes it clear that, yes, we have received everything everything we need in terms of divine power in order to uh, form this always growing and strengthening relationship with God, we have to keep an eye on how we live and we have to keep an eye on what our motivations are. How do we do this? How do we protect ourselves from falling into these traps? Well, according to Peter, we do this by increasing our knowledge. 
One of the recurring themes we see in the book of 2 Peter is the value of knowledge. And I think that's fitting. I think that's fitting for Peter to talk about that because when we think about Peter so often, we think about him as the apostle who, you know, spoke before he thought, who reacted before he thought, and basically just did everything in life before he really thought things through. And so for him to acknowledge later in life the value of knowledge and the value of of understanding, I think that's an important thing for us to realize. And what he is writing about here is the kind of deep knowledge that is, that is more than just facts, but that displays an intimate relationship. And that's what he wants us to have. This is a knowledge that doesn't just make us smarter. This is a knowledge that changes how we live. It changes what we do. It changes who we are. So we know that God has provided us with this, this great power that we need, this power that can help us through each and every situation in life. But he has also promised us a number of things And I want to glance at them this morning. And the reason I say glance at them is because we're just going to read through a list. But also, we have to actually step outside of 2 Peter to look at some of these things. Uh, Because all Peter gives us in verse 4 is that he has given us his very great and precious promises. That's what he writes. So, what are those promises? Let's look at some of the things God has promised us. God has promised us a spiritual life. God has promised us a resurrected life. He's promised us the Holy Spirit. He's promised us abundant grace, joy, strength, guidance, help, instruction, wisdom, heaven, and eternal rewards. We'll leave those up there for a moment if you want to write them down. You can get the passages that go along with them as well. Now, I'm not going to say that that's a complete list. Uh, or anything like that, but, uh, you know, really, that's just 12 things, and, and you look at that list, and, and I believe you have to acknowledge how incredible each and every one of those are individually, and how much of a blessing it is to have just one of those things promised to us in our lives, but you look at that list, and you read through it, and you recognize that God has promised us all of them, and it should blow you away. You should be amazed at how generous he is. God has given us these things, Peter says, so that we can participate in his divine nature and so that we can escape corruption. Obviously, that's great. That's what Peter writes in the Bible. I think that we could also say it like this. God has given us these things so that we can have a relationship with him, a genuine relationship with him, not a superficial one, not a meaningless one, you know, not one where he is our acquaintance. God has given us these things so that we can have a relationship with him. This relationship, this participation in divine nature, it's not just something we look forward to one day in the future. It's not just something we can experience in heaven. It is something that we can begin to experience right now. This brings us to the second point. So write this down next to number two in your handout. Write down the pursuit, the pursuit Because of what God has given us and because of what God has promised us, there are things that we should do. There are things that we should strive for in our lives. This is primarily where we see our keys to spiritual growth this morning. Now, right away, I think there's a question that needs to be addressed. You might say, if God has given us what we need, then why do we need to do anything? That's a question. Sometimes it's asked 
genuinely, sometimes it's not, but it's a question that people ask. And this morning, I'll just give you a church answer. I feel like that's appropriate. There's a tension in our lives. There's a tension in our lives when it comes to what God has given us and what God desires us to do. I think a good place for us to see this in the scripture is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You see, what Paul does here is he commands his readers to work But at the same time, he tells them that it's God who's working in them. This is the way it is for us. This is the way it is for all of us. We are commanded to work even though we're told it's God who works in us. And the temptation, if I can just be blunt this morning, I think is to be lazy. Is to say that, you know, God has done it. God has done all of this for me so I don't have to do anything. And we're tempted to justify our lack of action by pointing to the reality, by pointing to the truth that, yes, God has saved us and we do not save ourselves. But if that's our reasoning, it's false reasoning. You see, the truth is, because God has saved us, because God has done so much for us, because God has given us so much to look forward to, we need to earnestly seek Him in this life. We need to earnestly strive to live our lives in such a way that brings glory to Him. Peter says we need to make every effort. He's saying that we need to be zealous. We need to be eager in our pursuit of these virtues. Let's let's look at them. Look at verses 5 through 7. 2 Peter 1 verses 5 through 7 one more time. And we'll just read through what Peter talks about here. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Now, before we look at any of these in depth, before we, I talk about any of them, what I want you to do this morning is I want you to underline them, I want you to highlight them in one of your devices, whatever you're reading, I want you to draw a box around them, make a note next to them, do whatever you need to do to draw attention to these things, to these verses and these virtues that Peter writes about. There should be an urgency in our lives to do these. We should strive to be known for these things. Not just one of them, not just two of them, but each and everything in this list. And as as they build on each other, they build us up spiritually into the person that God has called us to be. I mean, a simple test, I'm not gonna say that it's a perfect test, but a simple test you can do this morning is you can look at these, you can look at this list and you can ask yourself, how many of them describe you? How many of these things are you pursuing on a daily basis? And depending on what your answer is, you can get a pretty good idea of whether or not you're growing spiritually the way that you should be. Remember I said in the beginning that if you just stick to the stereotypical church Christian answers, you know, going to church, reading your Bible, praying, you know, you're selling yourself short when it comes to how you can grow spiritually. And I, I, you know, we're in church this morning. 
I understand the value of those things. This is not me belittling them or disregarding them in any way. But what we see here is a, is a more complete list, a deeper list, other things that aren't so obvious maybe. Absolutely, we should be faithful and consistent in our prayer life, in our attendance, in our giving, in our volunteering, in you know, all of those things, our service. But we need to do these things as well. I want to say this again one more time before I move on, just because I feel like I need to whenever we talk about working in our, our uh, spiritual lives, because I want to make sure that it's crystal clear. These things that we do, these things that Peter calls us to do, they do not, they do not save you. They do not save us. If we pursue the things on this list, it does not bring about salvation in our lives. They do sanctify you. They do draw you closer to God. You can be a more complete servant of God when you do these things. I'm not talking about working in order to get into heaven. Jesus took care of that for us on the cross. I'm talking about what you and I are called to do each and every day after we accept Jesus as our Savior. All right, well, what I want to do now is I want to look at each of these things a little bit. I want to say at least one thing about them. There are seven virtues that Peter tells us we should add to our faith. Don't worry, we're going to get out in plenty of time. We had baby dedication last night, and we still got out on time. You don't have to worry about that. So the first thing Peter writes about is goodness. This is the first thing he says we should add to our faith. If you want to, you can write this down uh, in your Bible or in your notes next to goodness. You can write down the words moral excellence, moral excellence, because that's what he's referring to. This means that we should be honest, we should be upright, we should be pure. These are the things that we need to pursue. These are the things that we should be known for in order to add goodness to our lives. Next, Peter goes on to say that we should pursue knowledge. Now, I already said that this is a theme in 2 Peter. If you read through the whole book, which it's not a long book, you'll see knowledge uh, talked about and written about over and over again. And the key to really understand why he values this so much is not because he wants his readers to be the most educated people in the world. That's not his goal. He wants them to have the knowledge that they need to bring about change in their lives. He wants them to have the knowledge they need so they can apply it to their lives. There is no value added to our spiritual lives if we know the truth, but don't do what it says. There is no value added to our spiritual lives if we know the truth, but don't do what it says. After knowledge comes the call to self-control. And this literally means holding oneself in. At this time, it was used to describe athletes who would abstain from certain foods, wine, sexual activity, anything that they thought would hinder their performance in a competition, in a race. And you know that the Bible often refers to our spiritual lives as a race, as a competition, one that we should train for, one that we should take seriously. And I think that we should all be willing to uh, have some honesty uh, with ourselves and, and realize, you know, what are the areas in my life that I need to show more self-control in? Where do I need to draw a harder line? Where do I need to hold myself in? The fourth virtue that Peter writes down is perseverance. Now, I want to tell you this morning what perseverance is not. It is not patience. 
And the reason I say that is not because I think patience is a bad thing, but I say that because this is not a, a passive sitting and waiting for a trial to end. It's not something where you just kind of sit and hold your breath and hope it passes. This is taking whatever situation you're in, no matter how difficult it is, and turning it into a step toward Christ. That's what this is. That's what perseverance is. Perseverance is overcoming your circumstances and not being defined by them. Number five, the fifth virtue is godliness. Now, I think if you were to just read through this passage on your own and, and not really pause and think about these uh, individually, you would think that this virtue had to do with our behavior, that it would uh, come right alongside goodness and moral excellence. But what this is actually referring to is not so much our behavior, but our attitude toward God. The Greek word that Peter uses here could be translated as true worship, true worship, now, what we need to understand when we think about this is that we need to always have reverence and respect for God. Reverence and respect for God. He, he, is, he loves us. He provides for us. You know, he calls us friend. We can have a personal relationship with God in a way that sometimes seems impossible because of his great love for us. But we need to always remember and respect the reality that he is God and we are not. He is in control and we are not. That's the reality of what this means. Along the same lines, Peter goes on to say that we should add brotherly kindness to our lives. Now, the reason I say this is along the same lines is because this too has to do with our attitude. But instead of thinking about our attitude, you know, stretching up toward God, we think about our attitude stretching out toward the people around us. You know, what is your attitude toward your family? What is your attitude toward your friends? What is your attitude toward your coworkers? What is your attitude toward your neighbors? strangers that you see in the grocery store. Peter says we need to have brotherly kindness. This is why in a verse, two verse, multiple verses, sorry, that I know you've all heard, Jesus says these great words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Our attitude toward God, our attitude toward our brothers and sisters around us, we need to be aware of these things. Finally, Peter ends with the greatest virtue, love. Love. A couple of weeks ago when we had our back to school service here, my dad spent the whole weekend talking about love, the power of love, what we can accomplish through love, what God has accomplished because of love. If you weren't here that weekend, I would encourage you to listen to it online, watch it online, do whatever you need to, uh, to uh, make it a part of your study this week, your spiritual growth. All I'm going to say this morning in relation to love is the simple truth that if you do not have love, then you do not have anything. If you do not have love, it does not matter what else you have. You do not have anything. Peter caps off his list with two possible outcomes. Now, one's positive, one's negative. The positive one is pretty obvious. 
Uh, you know, if we live out these virtues, if we do these things, if we're defined by these things that Peter writes about, then we're going to be effective. We're going to be productive as Christians, you know. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like in your life, you know, depending on your family situation, your job, your role, you're going to be effective. You're going to be productive. And I don't think that's, you know, too surprising. You look back at this list and, and, and you realize, you know, yeah, if I'm known by these things, if I live out these things, of course, I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to be a blessing to people around me. It's going to be good. But what I think is a little bit more interesting and what I want to spend just a little bit more time on is the negative outcome. We see this in verse 9. Peter says, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. And what this means is that if we're not living out these virtues, if we're not growing in our spiritual lives, we can't see a clear picture of who we really are. We can't see a clear picture of our, our true spiritual condition. And there's a phrase in verse 9 that literally means to receive forgetfulness. We will receive forgetfulness. Peter writes that we can become blind not only to who we are and who we can be as Christians, but also to what Christ has done for us. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but I think that this is a verse, this is something that should scare us a little bit. And you know, maybe, maybe the problem is that a lot of us are kind of naive and we think, well, that'll never happen to me. There's no way I could forget what Christ has done for me. There's no way I could forget the price Jesus paid for me on the cross. But at the same time, I believe that we all know people. We all know people who have done just this. And you look at their lives and you look how far from God they've, they've wandered and, and the decisions they make and the way that they live. And you ask yourself, how can this not matter to you anymore? How can, this, how can this mean nothing to you anymore? How can you forget what it was like when you were close to God? It's because this is what happens. You become spiritually blind This is the result of a life where we ignore what God wants us to do. Number three, the prize, the prize. This is where we see the assurance of salvation. Peter writes, for if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I believe really that the key to this passage, uh, excuse me, not this passage, this point is when he says, do these things, if you do these things. And the reason that I say that's the key is because what he's referring to is a daily pattern of life. He's referring to a daily pattern of life. He's not referring to a spiritual itch that we need to scratch. He's not referring to uh, using them to overcome some setback in our lives. This is how we should live every single day, every single day. And I truly believe that we can go back to these seven virtues and we can look at them and we can ask this question, do these things describe who I am on a day-to-day -day basis? Do these things describe who I am on a day-to-day -day basis? I want you to ask yourself that question sometime today. Because if we live this way, we will grow spiritually. If we live this way, we will experience an assurance of our salvation that cannot be shaken. And God wants us to grow. God wants us to be assured. God wants us to be blessed. God wants us to live out the promises that he has given us. 
And we see a pretty clear picture of the steps you and I can take each and every day to bring that about in our lives. Brian, you can go ahead and come and play. We can begin to draw things to a close this morning. You know, the last time I spoke, I talked about anxiety and I talked about, you know, the realities of this world that we live in and some steps that we can take to overcoming anxiety. And I did that because of my own experience with anxiety, but also because whenever I get the opportunity to speak um, just kind of these uh, one-shot sermons where we're not doing a series, we're not doing anything else, what I think about is, you know, what, what is something that everyone can relate to? What is something that everyone... Uh, has experienced, even if we don't necessarily talk about it all the time. And so I thought about anxiety last time. And, you know, the truth is, when I thought about what I wanted to preach on this morning, I I had the same kind of discussion with myself. You know, what is something that everyone can relate to? And what what I fell back on was the reality that everyone can relate to just feeling stuck in our walk with Christ at some point or another. Everyone can relate to going through spiritual dry seasons where no matter what we do, who we talk to, what we read, it doesn't really seem to make a difference. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here this morning and talk about this passage and look at these virtues and tell you that they are like magic. And if you just do these seven things, all of your feelings will change overnight and you'll be so much better. We know that growth takes time. Growth takes time and it takes diligence. And we know the truth is we never see ourselves grow in the moment. Only after time has passed, we look back and we realize how far we've come. I mean, we see that when it comes to our attitudes, when it comes to our inner lives. We see that when it comes to our our physical lives. You can look back at old family photo albums and you see how much you've changed or how much someone has changed. That's why we have to be diligent. That's why we cannot give up. But at the same time, I believe that if you do these things, if we strive diligently and purposefully to add these things to our lives or to to focus on them more than we already do, we will grow. Now, I'm not saying that you will experience any sort of great epiphany overnight. Maybe. God certainly has the power to do that. 